Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. There's a certain scepticism at the moment floating around the idea that businesses can or should be managing their social, environmental and governance issues and that that is not a distraction from core business. And this scepticism is making me a bit uncertain as to how to move forward, how to communicate social or environmental or governance pieces. And I really wanted to delve into this topic. So I am delighted to invite and hear from today my social impact pioneers, Jen Owens and Katie Callens. Together, they're going to help me figure out how to best communicate the risks and opportunities of well-managed social and environmental issues by businesses, hopefully without being a sort of worthy do-gooder and without suggesting that businesses have potentially taken their eye off the business money-making ball. I am afraid I'm going to grill these ladies because they are experts in communication, in content strategy, in employee engagement. So forgive me if I ask them lots of questions because I really want to gather up and glean what they know and their practical tactics on how to communicate how to talk about ESG, indeed, if we talk about ESG at all, how to explain complicated topics, and also how to unlock the power that lies within people who are working within businesses around the world. So Jen, Katie, forgive me, but a massive welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We're so excited to be here. Oh, I am literally, yeah, can't wait to dive into this conversation. And and so I really wanted to start with A bit about your own sort of journeys, really, because you've both devoted much of your careers to better communicating sustainability or social environmental issues and what that means to businesses. What has brought you on this journey? Yeah, I can take that first. This is Katie here to help clarify the voices. So I've been working in the climate and sustainability space for over 10 years. And what I have found again and again is that there is so much importance about not only the work that's being done, but how it's being communicated. We have so many subject matter experts out there that are leading very important climate programs or philanthropy programs or DEI programs, but they don't often get the coaching or the support to communicate the work that they're doing to a broad range of stakeholders. And so I've had the benefit through doing work at the EPA on environmental justice programs green building work at Google, circularity, play engagement at Meta, to really help those practitioners who are truly at the top of their field kind of look up and say, how do we present this information in a way that gets you buy-in for this work to continue, whether that's funding from executives or employees raising their hands to help, or also this piece around translation. How do we translate this important work to customers that are eager to understand the benefits of their product? investors that are trying to compare your company against your peers. And to me, that's the really fun problem solving element of it, 
it's not only what you're doing, but how you're talking about it. And how do you align that work to your organization's overall mission and values so that this isn't just a nice to have, but this is really core to the organization itself. And it keeps getting led and championed by different folks beyond the quote unquote sustainability team. It's so interesting to, to kind of hear that journey you've been on and, and through different organizations as well. Um, Jen, what about yourself? What sort of brought you on your journey? Well, so I come to it, I come to it through the S, through the diversity and inclusion realm. And, and so I have a background making like research and reports and content for chief diversity officers. I did company assessments on workplace policies and doing a lot of content around intersectional audiences. So that was where I had come in. And that's actually what I came into Metaphor was working on business equity content. And then I thankfully was recruited into the Meta Sustainability team and to do external content. And what was so great about that is that you bring the DE&I mindset to everything you do, no matter what the topic is. So getting to do that and getting to meet all those subject matter experts who have a story to tell, but don't know how to tell it for someone who wants to actually read it. They have a lot of things to say and a lot of amazing uh, goals and challenges and opportunities. But, you know, it's being able to translate all that into content that's for specific audiences. It, it helps tell where the company is trying to go and how they're going. And it just, it lifts them up. So that's how I came to sustainability. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I, like in my mind, the sustainability world encompasses all the DEI. And it just sort of depends where, what journey you've been on, whether diversity, inclusion, equity, those sorts of pieces all sit as part of a wider environmental social governance piece. And, and, and Jen, I was wondering whether I could stick with you on that matter. So ESG, environment, social governance, for many has and is a material risk matrix framework that investors use to decide whether they should I don't know, invest in a business or whether businesses are managing themselves properly or what have you. In some parts of particularly the US and, and some people who are listening to this podcast, I have referred to this a few times in previous podcasts. In some parts of the US, this is it's sort of been is being hauled, dragged into a wider conversation around woke capitalism, culture wars, whether ESG is basically investors and, and people with too much money misspending people's pension funds, etc. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know it's so dark. It's so it's dark. It's, and it's like and it's one of those weird things where like, you know, like, oh, I, I've, you know, I've been in this world for quite a long time, quite a long time, a couple of decades. And I was like, I'm always the person like, oh, here comes the do-gooder. Isn't she nice? She's trying to do good for the business and she's trying to do everything else. And suddenly you're like, you're the bad person. And I'm like, what? Whoa, sorry. Yeah. But I, I was wondering, because it's sort of hitting the headlines and, and it's certainly taking me a bit like, I don't really, I, I'm a bit British, as you can tell from my accent. I, I don't really get where it's coming what? from. Can you share a bit more about what this means to the work that you're doing, but also where, you know, how you're seeing this in, in, in your world as well. Well, my vantage point was I, I've been in this world of doing mission-driven content for a very long time. And, and it started with how do we treat it, it as with every corporate uh, initiative, it starts with the women. And it was, we start with how do we treat, you know, women, recruitment, retention, advancement of women. Then it grew to going into diversity, which became diversity inclusion. And, you know, we kept adding the letters, which is great because that shows an evolution of 
the way we're thinking about this. And then that grows into CSR, that grows into ESG. And that's actually the very particular question. So we, Katie and I are starting a podcast called Engaging ESG. And that's the question. That's the question that Katie said we had to start with. It's like, what is ESG and where is it coming from? And because none of this is new. And yet as it gathers steam, it's gathering pushback. So I'm actually going to tap in Katie because this was actually the conversation we had. What was it yesterday? Yes, yesterday. Yeah, that's exactly right, Jen. And I'll just build on that to say that one thing I learned early on in this field is that, you know, purpose-driven business is important because it helps companies try to understand how to do less harm and more good. And unfortunately, I think a lot of companies jump over the less harm piece. (laughs) I know we saw that sometimes at Meta where folks just wanted to donate a bunch of money, partner with this organization, but they didn't actually have the legitimacy or the trust of that organization or that stakeholder group. And they're actually one in the same. And it's all good and well for an organization to want to have a positive impact in the world and you know do good according to their top environmental, social, and governance topics. But you also have to be invited to the table. And communications is a really good starting point because it starts to build legitimacy. It shows how you are doing this work as table stakes. And to draw back, Katie, to your question about, you know, the politicization that we're seeing in the U.S., I think it's really linked to this idea of what is the role of corporations in American society. They have been given a lot of power because of the Citizens United ruling a while ago. And so I think people are very wary about companies making a stand in any direction, because how does that line up with societal good as as we see it as a whole? And so it kind of becomes this larger question of what is the role of business? How much should they put themselves in these conversations around social issues, climate, and et cetera? And I think all of us on the call, you know, are aware that this is really vital and businesses have a role to play, but that is increasingly going to be an argument that needs to be made. And by having companies really focus on topics within the ESG framework that are most material to their business risk and material to the stakeholders that they're trying to speak to, they're going to come off a lot more authentically. Well, that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that in terms of, you know, I come at it like always trying to nudge and encourage businesses to do more good. Whereas actually, if you've got that framework or that mindset in you that like businesses already have too much power. And then you give them the ability to make step outside of their kind of business realm, then they could overstep their mark. And Try. and then you add the point that Katie's making about jumping over do no harm and, and you risk becoming performative with everything you're doing and not actually, where's the impact? And so now you have an, an audience that can call it out, can push back. And those are your clients and your customers and your own employees saying, hey, you know, you say this, but what are we actually doing? That Where are the actual results here? So if you step over that do no harm, you've got the big issue of the power of the company and the platform and the investors talking, but you also have the company itself not really kind of pulling through authentically on the actions they're taking. Yeah. I'm nodding along happily and, and lots of <laughs> my end. It's just, well, there's a mute button. And and therefore, but I also, I want to sort of roll back a bit because um, Casey, while you were talking, um, you know, if you, if you sit in the sort of I'm higher work and sustainability, there's 
there are so many acronyms. And as Jen said, you know, each letter that gets added to the acronym is a good thing because woohoo, we're doing more good and there's like more things getting added. But oh my goodness me, so many letters. It's too confusing. And therefore also from my kind of my reading of various papers, listening to various podcasts, audio pieces, et cetera. I mean, the the acronym ESG, Environmental Social Governance, is then being mixed up with loads of other things or for loads of other things. So you two, you two are my like communications experts, gurus. How do we better communicate the work that we do? And by we, I mean the sort of idea that you're a practitioner sitting within an organization trying to make it do more good, encourage it to do less harm. How do we communicate that better and and generally kind of move forward without being kind of caught up with this culture war tag? Yeah, I think externally, which is where I come from, it's a guiding principle that my lovely boss at Meta, Marlo Tablante, would say is that we're not here to broadcast. We're here to be to encourage a dialogue because, you know, we have to come into these conversations. So we this was when we were looking at working with climate creators. Well, they're they're knowledgeable. They have huge audiences. They are already in the world of making these stories that are very important to be told. If we come in and tell them what the story should be, then we're lost before we even start. And so how can we use it? And here we are, a huge platform. We have a lot of resources at our disposal. So how can we help and how can we support the work that's already there? And that's a very different than coming in and saying, this is our sustainability story. This is what we're doing. And this is, you know, that kind of hitting people over the head with a cudgel. So, but then in anything that we do through collaboration or partnerships or what, what a content sharing, it has to be done authentically. You know, we can't be now talking about things that we're not involved in or things that we are not a great actor in. You know, we have to be authentic in what we're saying. And then we have to keep it simple, stupid. It has to be clear. You know, we have to step away from those acronyms or explain them when they're necessary. I mean, that's just the classic comms. Yeah, I'll just reiterate that I think when we we can get really bogged down in the language. And I've advised a bunch of young people trying to go into the sustainability and climate space. And they are also kind of mind boggled about how to navigate a career when there's so much different language that's used. And so what I try to tell them and myself is, you know, we're in a space of alphabet soup. We're in this kind of norming, forming, storming stage of ESG work, which is kind of an organizational development term for when there's, you know, standards that are getting created, created infrastructure that's getting created to create some consistency. We are not there yet. So how can we still talk about the important work of these organizations and of these topics without getting too um, caught up into the keywords? Yes, we can maybe have ESG in the title, but of an article, let's say, or of, you know, in a blog post. But when we're getting into the nitty gritty, Let's talk about like, what is the specific environmental issue? What is the specific social issue? And what is the specific governance? I find the more we can get into specificity, that really becomes relatable to folks. And so, you know, let's say climate justice is a big priority for your organization. Let's at a high level, you know, mention that, but then pretty quickly get into like, what does that look like from a generative reforestation plan? What does that look like from a supporting, you know, communities plan? And so I think 
very quickly getting out of the jargon and into the specificity is where you can create that relatability and kind of break through the alphabet soup that we're all swimming in right now. I got to say that that often you'll hear leaderships kind of want to come to you. This is for reals talk. And they'll say, we want to do the an article that encapsulates everything we're doing around water stewardship, every single thing in one article. And it's no one's going to read it. Your SEO is going to suffer because there's no one article. And also, why not write 12 articles? Like, why not break it down to what Katie's saying? You know, like the specificity is going to find an audience that wants to know that fact. And then you can lead them into other, it's called links. You can link to other things you've done. But you often, in the world of writing press releases too, there's always, always like a kitchen sink approach to this stuff where, can't we put all and everything in and mention my sister too? And it's like, no, that's never, it never works. Specificity, can I can't even say the word, is your friend. Oh my God, I love it when we get into like detail <laughs> of how do you do this stuff? Because this is a bit where I, I get like completely brain fuddled. I am not a communicator, like in terms of I just, that's not my thing. And just to hear you guys like break it down, talk specific, but I can't say even worse. Than I, we can't even say it. Katie, you've set us up for failure here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my, I'm going to have to make up a new word. I, I, I'm really dyslexic. And so if I can't spell a word or say it, I just choose a different one. So we're going to have like something sure. non-specificity. Okay. So, so pulling us back then. Okay. So we've looked at like, how do you do it if you're a comms practitioner? So then thinking about kind of the wider I'm trying to make my business do more good sustainability type practitioner within a business, an organization. Because of this noise that's going on around ESG and this pushback, I'm hearing from some of the people that we're working with, not a retraction of how much work they're doing, still like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it properly. We want to do it like authentically, do it authentically is how people want to, you know, doubling down on. But at the same time, a quiet, retreat from talking about it like less noise and therefore you know that kind of is it a fear of getting burnt or just we just we'll just do the hard work for a bit how do we take ESG away from being political in the first place is there a way is there a shortcut to this what's your experience in this or recommendations in this Mine is that I was at the Bloomberg Green Summit uh, maybe last month or the month before and they had a workshop on storytelling around climate issues and the room was packed. They had to turn people away. And the general vibe of that room was fear that it, you could feel it. And w- which was getting the story wrong, getting our messaging wrong. And, and to me, this is the same way people see diversity stories. And because no company is doing enough, you know, look at any, you know, how many women are leading Fortune 500 companies, how many Black women are running Fortune 500 companies, you know, just that by that one metric, you know, we're not doing enough. So yes, there's a lot of fear. Now, I, you know, I traffic in content. So my, my advice, I see everything as a content problem solved by better content. And that is to get ahead of it. And to be clear, to have a, a clear narrative of what you're talking about, take that materiality assessment, and actually put it to use to create a marketing narrative that is clear and authentic and specific and get to telling your story. Because if you don't tell your story, other people will, and you won't like the way they do it. Yeah. I'll just echo what you're saying. And that I actually heard a term for this earlier this year when I was at the Green Biz uh, Comm Summit, which is called, it's called green hushing. 
So actually pulling back on those stories. Ooh, and, I like that. I mean, I don't yeah. like it as a trend, but I like it as a, as a word. <laughs> something, well, somehow when you name something, it gives you a little bit more ownership and kind of control over the concept. And I think that the fear is warranted. And also, if this work is going to continue happening in your organization, you're not talking about it, you're basically cutting your team down from their ability to continue doing this work. I really see comms as a vehicle for momentum and visibility. And if you are talking about this work in a way that is authentic to your company values, really on brand to the overall North Star vision of you as an organization, and if you're able to be really honest and clear about what's working and what's not, I think that will that will cut through the noise. I think one thing that people believe a lot of times with this ESG work is that even when the programs are in their early stage of maturity, that they have to have it all figured out and have to be doing it 100%. And that's just incredibly unrealistic. And I found some of the most compelling pieces of communications around ESG, honestly, talk about the pitfalls honestly talk about what's not going well. And I think that's a really great way to build trust and economy with with your key stakeholders and kind of cut through the noise that you're just doing this for a visioning or greenwashing exercise. Yeah, it's, that, it's being brave, isn't it? It's so frightening being brave. Sometimes just yes. want to stay in that. You guys just talked very eloquently about some of the places that you guys have, have been, some of the rooms that you've been part of and listening and, and, and all the work that you've, you've been part of. What trends are you therefore seeing? We've we've talked a lot now about kind of ESG and the pushback piece, but what other trends are you seeing that perhaps others aren't seeing? And, and therefore, what would be your advice to those business practitioners that could potentially prepare for some of those trends? One of the things that we've seen in this space for a while is that it's been very voluntary. When I started working, you know, at the EPA around like political legislation, you know, there just there was the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and up until last year, you know, we didn't even have the IRA. And so it's really been this thing that companies are doing because A, they see it as a business risk to not do otherwise for operational uh, achievements, but also because many of their key stakeholders are asking for it. That landscape is really shifting with the increase of regulations. So many of you listening are probably aware that there's a lot of global regulations coming down the pipeline, whether it's CSRD in the EU, SEC reporting requirements in the US. And I think that's also where some of this fear that we were just talking about comes from. It's really not known exactly what is going to be asked of companies in the next couple of years. And so there's a lot of scrambling and reactivity happening within companies, definitely within Meta and many of our peers of how do we prepare when we don't know exactly what they're looking for. And so I think one of the ways that you can get ahead of this is by looking at your strategy and the topic areas that you are prioritizing as an organization and making sure that they are really aligned with a materiality assessment or really a prioritization framework of kind of the key things to be looking at. Because no matter what you're going to get asked for at a legislative or regulatory perspective, they're going to want to know why. Why are you focusing on those things? Why are they most important to you? And that's honestly the benchmark of good business in general, right? To be having a strategic and prioritized focus for your business. And so I see those things as very aligned. And I, so I think in this kind of changing world of regulations and standards, there's a lot to get frenzied about, but really seeing those as adding legitimacy to this space 
and really helping to drive, you know, ruthless prioritization. So now I want to move on to helping and engaging and working with other employees from other parts of the business. So clearly, if you're sitting and working in and trying to make your business do more social or environmental good, I mean, from my personal experience, and I worked in both financial services and, and telco for a number of years, it's quite lonely. You know, you'd like everybody else has got their P&L or making their money or selling their stuff or what have you. What have you learned in the time that you spent within different companies and organizations about working closely with employees from other parts of the business around engaging them, helping them, quite frankly, own it, own doing or enhancing the sort of environmental or social impact of their their own work. Katie, can I stick with you for a minute? Yeah, definitely. I've had the pleasure of thinking through, you know, what is the opportunity and challenges around employee engagement for quite a few years at Meta? And one of the biggest learnings that I've had, and trust me, whenever these sessions are at conferences or there's webinars, they're always packed, similar to the climate storytelling one that Jen said, which I think shows me that there's still a lot to be figured out. There's no, really no silver bullet when we think about employee engagement. And that's because every employee population is incredibly unique. So I had the pleasure of working within Google and Meta for almost a decade. And with those populations, you know, it was very young, very tech focused. And so what became clear to me early on is that folks who were raising their hands that want to participate in this work were basically coming from two different interest groups. One was maybe what folks would think of as kind of the traditional green teams. These are folks that want to be hosting events doing actions that are around their office, maybe related to waste. And they're really kind of a community building function is how I saw them. Then we have this other group that was more technical in interest. So they wanted to be involved in really sustainability and climate work as it pertained to our products. And so one of the ways that we really engaged with them was through starting to build hackathons and kind of more technical project opportunities. And as Meta's climate product space grew, there were more opportunities there. And so what I really learned from kind of facilitating these two different groups was that everyone approaches an interest in this work with a different personal passion. Maybe it's because they ride their bike to the office every day and they want to see more single-use occupancy vehicles off the, off the grid. Or maybe they have been really excited about a product solution they've seen from a peer and they want to help build that. So I think really segmenting the employee base that is coming to you around how and where they want to show up is a great way to uh, not just spend all your time trying to find kind of a match of skills to interest. Because I know that at Meta, we are not alone with having this particular challenge, which is a great challenge to be clear, but just a lot of folks sending you pings or emails out of the blue saying, I want to help, where can I participate? And we love that, right? I'm sure there's organizations where no one wants to help and it's a whole nother kind of bag of challenges, so to speak. But in these organizations that I've had the privilege of working in, there are so many people that want to engage and it could be a full-time job to match them to projects. And usually folks like myself have, you know, 10,000 other things to do. <laughs> so how do you build infrastructures? How do you build programs and communities that are in some ways self-sufficient? and such that they can kind of begin to self-organize and support, but you still link up with them so that you can continue to give them updates around, you know, what are the priorities of the sustainability team? Where are we moving with climate work? And then the last piece I'll, I'll mention, and then I'll be quiet because I've been talking a bit, 
is, you know, there's also, I would say that's the more interactive piece around employees, but then there's this idea of what does effective internal communications look like? How can you reach people where they're at? Because maybe they don't have time to raise their hand to join a product meeting or organize an event, but they want to know that their company is doing good on all of these really important topics for ES and G. And so a big part of my role at Meta was thinking about how do we uh, create these forums for discussion and interactivity. So we had two big milestone events during the year. In the spring, it was Earth Week. In the fall, it was our climate summit. And then interspersed throughout the year, we had executive Q&As, this fun little series that I pulled together called Sustainability Talks. <laughs> We'd have executive and myself sit down with a cup of tea, talk about their uh, career journey, but also what they're driving at Meta, as well as, you know, internal reports and lots of, lots of posting. I oversaw our kind of internal channel around all things sustainability. So that is a lot. And I don't think that if you're just starting your journey around employee engagement, you're expected to build all of these programs tomorrow. But I think thinking really strategically about what your goals are for getting employees involved, is it having them understand that you have a net zero goal? And, you know, or is it that you really need some expertise on the product design side or on a client services facing side and really trying to identify those advocates early on? will help you make sure that you're using the best use of your time and that you're getting the most out of this program. And every, I tell you, every time we'd have these events, someone would pop up and say, so are we doing anything around sustainability? And my heart would die a little. And I'd think, do you not see all that Katie's doing? <laughs> so you just have to keep at it. Oh, absolutely. But also, I think, Katie, your wisdom that you shared there, which is if you have been tasked with trying to unlock the potential that is your kind of employee base it's so difficult to once you open that floodgate of like oh we'll start match pay making people and again this is from my personal experience right. then just you get bogged down and you you lost already you've already lost because you can't then ever get back up to be able to do and think more strategically and and everything because you already set the expectations too high and then you well in my case I always spent my entire time letting people down because I could never I could never match them to exactly what they wanted and and and, and uh, it was yeah thank you katie <laughs> anybody I mean, really thank you katie yeah, for any, sure <laughs> anybody listening to katie what katie's advice there is really really important i.e how do you that create that self-sufficiency is the secret source the secret source um ladies i can see why you're setting up a podcast about this i mean you guys are just a treasure trove of information i am waving my hands wildly in the air if anybody's sort of <laughs> listening or watching outside must think I'm completely loony. Anybody listening, I will make sure I put the link to these amazing people's podcast uh, into the words that sit alongside this conversation so that you guys can go and track them down and, and be part of it too and, and unpack more of their wealth of knowledge. But I wanted to close this conversation a bit today because we must, which is about mistakes actually. And I think it's so easy to talk about what you're good at and it's so easy to say, oh, you know, this is what works and this isn't, isn't it lovely and here's a beautiful case study and it's all perfect. I wanted to close our conversation today with what's the biggest mistake you've made? What's the, what's the thing you've got wrong that you just think, oh my gosh, please, nobody else make this mistake again. Please learn from my problems uh, because actually we've got to learn from each other rather than keep making the same mistakes. Um, Jen, would you mind going first? I was once featured in a New York Times article about my biggest mistakes at work, so I obviously don't mind sharing. 
But uh, those were all solid stories and I keep them all. But I think in this, uh, I mean, once uh, Senator Orrin Hatch once wrote a letter about me getting something wrong in a newspaper once. So I've done I've done my part to cause mistakes. But I think what I learned at Meta, where there are there's a lot of voices happening. Sometimes it's not obvious who the single owner of a project is and the like is that when you have a little voice in your side that says, is this right? Is to ask the clarifying question while you have everyone in the room. Because I would think that was an ongoing problem, challenge I had, was uh, walking away thinking we were all on the same page and we weren't. And there's it's such a waste of time to have to try to like backtrack and figure out, you know, how we're all working on some project or or the like together. And I've seen Katie in action where she will gently but forcefully make sure we all have the information we need and come back around, make sure we have it right before we all leave the call. So she she is an inspiration to me on that regard. Thank you, Jen. I also have made many mistakes. And I think one that came to mind when I was thinking about this conversation is three words that we're very scared to say, I think, in the business world and maybe in life in general, which is, I don't know. I think there needs to be a degree of humility and vulnerability here that, yes, maybe we've been doing the work of CSR and sustainable development for decades, but this is a very different world than we even had a couple years ago. And no one can really be expected to be a total expert right now. And when you can kind of dial back that, you know, awareness and uh, hubris, perhaps, to really look to understand and be curious, I think there's so much that can be gained because there's going to be organization, folks within your organization, leaders who are really great at one particular piece of the ESG pie, but probably not the whole pie as it is. And so if you can really open up conversations from a learning mindset and from an understanding that you too are here to grow alongside them, I find that really opens up the quality and depth of conversation you can have with folks and also invites them in even if they don't feel like an expert. I think one of the big losses that we have of the climate movement more generally is people often feel like they need to have a PhD in climate science to be part of the solutions. And that is certainly not the case. And so saying, I don't know, saying, tell me more, I don't totally understand, I've found it's been a really helpful way to circumvent that situation that can happen sometimes. Well, on those beautiful words, I'm going to call uh, time on our conversation today. Katie, Jen, thank you so much for joining me. And if anybody's listening, um, just a little plug that um, if you are interested also in understanding sort of more deeply how to better communicate ESG or generally sort of working in this space and, and need extra support, do take a look at Business Flights Poverty's website. We do have a paper that we've recently released, an insights piece, exactly looking at this particular question. And, and there are lots of others, so do take a look at the resources section. But Katie, Jen, thank you so much for joining me today and, and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having us. It's been great. Thank you so much. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 